0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're gonna talk a little bit about pastoral responses. But before we jump into that topic, I'd love to remind you once again about PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and if you are benefiting from what you hear on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about the membership site at chrismoles.org. I also wanted to remind you at the time of this recording on June uh, 6th, it'll be dropping on June 7th, uh, we are quickly approaching PeaceWorks Live. That's our conference here in Charleston, West Virginia. And we always uh, put a cap on the number of people who can attend. And this year's cap is only 100 people will be able to attend. We're uh, already halfway full, heading into August. And so if you'd like to learn more about participating in PeaceWorks Live and being part of either the Men of Peace facilitator track or the uh, Trauma and Care Track for Victims, then you can learn more about that as well at chrismoles.org. Okay, so today we're going to dive into a question from one of the listeners and the question is about pastoral responses. And the questioner writes, How can pastors make themselves more approachable or available to women in their church who might choose to come forward with an abuse disclosure? How can pastors prepare to respond to abuse disclosures well when they happen? So a couple things in this question that we're going to try to address today. And the first is, I don't know, you know, the the question or where the question is coming from in the first part of the question, the idea of how does a pastor be more approachable or available? And I know in our world today, in kind of the Western church context, it's very common unfortunate but common to have a pastor who is so far removed say a senior pastor or a teaching pastor that is so far removed from the congregation that very few people actually have interaction uh, with them and and if that's the case I don't know a lot I'm not in that setting to be quite honest I've never pastored what we would call a mega church uh, I tend to know everyone that I'm preaching to um, tend to to know everyone who attends the church. Uh, so it's it's difficult for me to say uh, conclusively how to be more available or approachable. I guess from an approachable standpoint, you have to be willing to talk about the concepts from the pulpit uh, if you want people to feel free to disclose. So that may be the first thing that I would say. You have to be willing to talk about the topic from the pulpit if you want individuals to feel free to disclose. Now, I will give a quick warning here. If you're a pastor listening and you are contemplating uh, addressing abuse from the pulpit, I would recommend that you prepare uh, a little longer uh, to make sure that you do it well. And and here's a couple reasons why. The, The first is this. I think sometimes we can get very excited about the possibility of ministry, even ministry that is difficult and complex. We can become passionate about a subject matter, especially when we are confronted with the ways in which the church has failed. And I'm just suggesting that it could be unwise, although it's necessary to preach against abuse from the pulpit, it could be unwise for a pastor to um, simply make declarations without doing the hard work of discussing with his staff, his team, with their uh, leadership on a ministry response. And and why I say that is I, I tend to see when pastors and leaders speak publicly about abuse, I tend to see an increase in disclosures. And so if you are prepared to condemn abuse, which you should from the pulpit, You should also be prepared to meet the response that will come afterward. So, yes, it's great to be passionate about the subject. It is great to be willing to condemn and speak about the subject. However, without a thoughtful ministry response, uh, you'll you'll kind of be you you won't kind of you will be left winging it. You'll be left, you know, kind of. picking it up as you go or building the plane while it's in the air. And most churches are not equipped to handle the complexities of uh, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, uh, just on a whim. There has to be some discussion. Now, please don't discuss it to death. This should be done. Uh, But I do think that's one way that pastors and and, uh, the pastoral office can be more approachable is if individuals are willing to condemn it from the pulpit. But one of those big mistakes is when we don't have a, a ministry response in place that's, that's prepared and is able to be at least functionally effective, it actually creates a great deal of disappointment as people give disclosures with no proper response. I think the second area there about being approachable, I would say, especially in pulpit ministry, is really, really thoughtfully and prayerfully prepare your remarks All of us come to uh, public presentations and even the scripture with our own presuppositions. Everyone kind of brings themselves into their teaching. And I know we like to think that we're all, you know, practicing perfect exegesis, but I think we have to be realistic and honest enough to say that all of us are kind of bringing our own thoughts and presuppositions into our teaching. And and sometimes pastors, quite frankly, I have seen individuals step into the pulpit, attempting to address a difficult topic like abuse, and come off as um, patronizing, come off as ignorant, um, and come off as harmful. Maybe, maybe innocently, in the thought that they know they know enough or they have it all figured out. Or they they inadvertently make some kind of joke that kind of reveals their own personal misogyny and personal sexism that they haven't worked through yet. So this topic must be addressed, but it should be addressed in a winsome and humble way as a learner, right, and as a leader. And so I think preparation is a big part of that. Please don't prepare it to death. Again, you have to speak. Don't take years to make a response. You have to speak, but, but speak well and speak in a way that's helpful. Here's a couple of tips that might help you that I have seen some pastors do, um, in, in the past, in their introduction to these topics, to their people is perhaps, um, use that time during a, um, During a marriage series, let's say you're already talking about marriage and or uh, sex in one of your uh, sermon series, prepare a short but powerful statement that's approved by your leadership, that's thoughtful, that has been vetted by an expert, maybe someone in your congregation who's an advocate or a survivor, that is a prepared statement regarding abuse. Uh. After you give that statement, be sure then to follow up with ways in which individuals can contact the church and seek help. And then make sure that that point person, that contact person, has enough resources at their disposal to connect individuals to necessary uh, civil authorities, um, necessary community-based agencies that can help, and in-house services that the church can provide for counseling, care and um and so on so uh, really be thoughtful about making that that response another thing that you can do is is prepare a team based approach by appointing some leaders uh that type of unified uh stand and direction can also be very welcome by survivors and can also make your ministry more approachable and available I'll give a couple other tips. I'm actually going to go through some lists uh, from a presentation that I do because I think it might be helpful for any pastors listening. And I know uh, the questioner, I think, is coming from a layperson or maybe a survivor perspective, but of course the question's directed towards pastors. So I want to speak to you guys. Um, If you're a pastor in ministry and uh, you're struggling with this uh, issue and you don't know how to bring it up, I want to encourage you to get educated. And in fact, that'd be the first thing I would, uh, request of anybody in ministry who's stepping into this world. And that can be both, um, you know, a, a beneficial process for you, but also can be a preventative measure for your church. And so continued education is probably going to be the top of my list. Anytime someone comes to me and asks a question like that, how can I prepare for disclosure, be educated. And then don't think that you've arrived because you took a one-hour seminar uh, at your sheriff's department or you went to the uh, two-hour training sponsored by the shelter. Understand that that was an introductory training. Um, Provide means of continued education for your church family. Walk through processes that have already been developed, like uh, becoming a church that cares for the abused um, or... At churchcares.com, or maybe something sponsored by Grace or another program uh, that you can use that's video based that might be able to help uh, your people process the information. Consider having awareness events. October is a great time to do that if uh, you're not already overwhelmed to have a Saturday domestic violence awareness conference or seminar where you're bringing in somebody like myself or another speaker or perhaps a local advocate or community-based agency that you're partnering with. Those types of preventative measures can help, again, make you more approachable and the church be, I should say seem, because it hasn't quite proven itself as, but seem a uh, safer place for victims. Of course, speak publicly when you're ready. Connect yourself to local service providers is always um, a a good step. If you can, there are some growing hurdles in the secular model and the community based model that are making it difficult for churches to connect. Once upon a time, uh, churches made it difficult to be quite honest for shelters to connect with them. And now in some ways, um, secular agencies are making it difficult there. There has been such a divide between us and them, uh, that it it's time for someone to begin to build those bridges. And I would recommend the church when the disclosure actually happens. So that would be kind of some preventative measures. When the disclosure actually happens, I'm going to say something controversial to some folks. I'm going to say believe what you're hearing. Now, when I say believe, I'm, I'm not saying take wholesale every account that you're hearing. This is not about a court of law type belief. This is not about uh, ironclad truth. This is about listening Right and thinking the best of what you're hearing, listening to this person with integrity, with um, care, without this immediate sense of doubt. And I bring that up because churches have historically listened to victims with a spirit of doubt. I have to confirm this. I have to follow up on this. I have to be an investigator on this. No, really, at this point, you're, you should be engaged in the work of compassion. Believe what you're hearing. Someone in front of you is hurting. Listen to their hurt, their pain, set in their hurt and their pain, set in their suffering, and follow along. Offer assurances. If we're talking about aspects of oppression and abuse, it's okay to say that it's not your fault. Regardless of the individual in front of you's choices it's not their responsibility if someone else has strangled them or hurt them or hit them or manipulated them it is that person's responsibility so really establish those hierarchy of responsibilities those lines that say you're you're not at fault for being harmed assist them based on their desires what what can i do for you next be prepared Uh, To step into the gap that is requested of you if you can. Understand that sometimes victims don't want further assistance. They are simply looking for someone to listen at this point, Uh, someone that they can trust. And that's good. Receiving a disclosure doesn't mean that you're now obligated to act, especially in cases of domestic abuse. Unless you were the witness, a witness to the abuse, your best move may be simply to listen and then to resource, offer, options. Can I help you call law enforcement? Here's the number of our local shelter. Here's some resources that I think might be helpful. How can I serve you best? Those type of questions and concerns will go a long way in establishing yourself as somebody who's trustworthy. Document and record uh, if possible. If you can't get permission to record the encounter, which is understandable, be sure to take good notes. Document what you're hearing. Uh, time, place, manner, when did this occur, where did it occur, and what occurred, and be able to document that well. This is not uh, a protection for you so much as it is um, clarity. Much of what you're hearing is not going to come in clear, succinct order. It's going to come from kind of a a traumatic uh, buckshot type of delivery. And you're going to be putting those pieces together. This is where an advocate would be tremendously helpful. But also, you want to have that that documentation in case there is a legal or civil matter. Having that on record with you will be helpful and will serve the victim well. Uh, When it comes time to conduct an intervention, make sure you're prepared to meet the victim's physical needs. Anytime an intervention or disclosure is made, it puts the victim at greater risk. it it creates a a, a potential for escalation. So be prepared to intervene by uh, offering help financially um, with the housing, perhaps meeting certain needs when it comes to food or childcare, shelter, uh, police contact, courts, victim advocates. All of these things are part of an intervention, connecting people to proper helpers and resources. Be aware of the dangers that, when an intervention happens, when you are coming in to confront a perpetrator, the violence will escalate to some degree or another more than likely against the victim, but possibly against you or the church as well. So just be aware of all the possible dangers and again, continue to document throughout the process. Always speak the truth. Don't be hesitant to speak the truth. You don't have to speak the truth. Um, as a weapon or as a way to harm, but, but prioritize what's important as you speak. I'm going to suggest that safety is really your first priority here as you're receiving a disclosure. I also think the acknowledgement of truth is here, putting off and putting on. I think that will be effective for both the perpetrator and the victim. We're really going to lean into what's true. We're not going to minimize the abuse. We're not going to deny the abuse. We're not going to blame the abuse on a substance or a mental health condition or some other pathological concern. We're going to put it where it belongs, on the abuser. We're not going to make light of it, but we're going to take it seriously. Truth is going to be center to what we do. We're going to mourn the things that we lose, and we're going to embrace the hope that we gain. We're told that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and certainly there's a lot of carnage in the wake of an abuse disclosure, we're going to grieve. but At the same time, we know that Jesus brings life and life to its fullest, and so we're going to live in hope. We're going to embrace and share the realities of the cross. We're not going to move far from the gospel, whether we are encountering a victim or a perpetrator, because the gospel, the, the gospel, the cross, is evidence of God's compassion, his great love for us. It's a connection to Christ's suffering. We're not suffering alone. It's the defeat of evil and great reminders that what we're experiencing, although real, tangible, destructive, are temporal, and that Jesus has met each one of those head on. And, of course, we do want to, at some point, talk about aspects of repentance and forgiveness. I think we tend to jump here quickly. I think there's a lot of work to do before we get here, but we certainly are going to talk about that at some point letting go of the hurt that we've experienced, extending grace where possible. But of course, we want offenses, harm, to be clearly acknowledged. We want confession and repentance to be clear and evident. We want appropriate boundaries to be in place and enforced. We want to be part of the consequences, um, acknowledging that they are real and that they can be effective. So I think leaders can be approachable. I think leaders can be available, but I think before that ever happens, leaders have to buy in. Leaders have to really believe that this is a problem. Leaders have to put off their own prejudices and embrace compassion. And then, then they can start working through some of these processes of hope and healing. Well, I hope that was helpful today. That, That question was wonderful. How can pastors make themselves more approachable and available? How do pastors prepare to respond for abuse disclosures? Well, I hope the brief information I walked through was helpful for you. If you want to learn more, we talk about this all the time uh, in different settings, whether it be here on the PeaceWorks podcast, in many of the lectures and conferences that I speak at, in blogs that we've posted, and then also at PeaceWorks University. So if you'd like to learn more about this topic, go over to chrismoles.org. Interact with our material there. We believe in pastors. We think pastors can be effective frontline workers, but it begins uh, with their own heart, their own willingness uh, to listen, to believe, to engage with compassion and love. Thank you again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast, everybody. Until next time, God bless.